Hello, welcome to the Thursday, June 18th, 2020 edition of the Sands and Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich and I am recording from Jacksonville, Florida. Yesterday I received an interesting email where when I looked at it first I thought hey this has to be a scam. It was sort of one of those very clumsy done uh, scams. It claimed that apparently I shot someone at a recent protest and that I should go to a website to learn more about the charges. Now what was sort of odd about this is that while all of this looked like your standard scam or phishing attempt, it actually directed to a legitimate website. The website in question here was the Atlanta Police Foundation, which is a not-for-profit working with the Atlanta Police. And of course, if you watched the news at all the last week or so, the Atlanta Police has a huge spotlight shining on them recently. So the question I had and uh, said I don't really have a full answer uh, for it is uh, why would someone be doing this if there is sort of no obvious uh, profit from this particular scam? And the best explanation that I could come up with is something that I have seen being referred to as a Joe shop which is often used in spam by using a fake from address. And the goal here is essentially to defame the fake sender of the message. So to claim that whoever sent the message is sending spam and then to hope that spam filters and such will block any legitimate messages from that source. Similar things could be happening here, but as far as I can tell, have not been successful. For example, if people are reporting uh, this email that may actually lead to the Atlanta Police Foundation's website being shut down or blocked by anti-malware filters. So sometimes it's not really a technical exploit, but uh, what I usually call a layer eight problem, which means it's really sort of a, a people uh, social engineering style exploit rather than some kind of malware. And I think it was a couple of months ago that Zoom announced its intent to develop an end-to-end -end encrypted protocol for its video conferencing service. Today, Zoom actually released a white paper with a proposed outline for how this protocol is supposed to work. And I think this is actually sort of unique. I've never really seen something quite like this being published in particular, sort of ahead of actually implementing the protocol. Sometimes I've seen this sort of in hindsight to just document what was established and what was implemented by a particular vendor. And even in the open source community, you don't often see sort of this very thoughtful process of designing the protocol, opening it up uh, for uh, criticism, and then, well, hopefully uh, fix some uh, bugs in the protocol before it's being implemented. Now, a couple of interesting features here. First of all, they will still allow for lawful intercepts. So uh, that's sort of a criticism here at the protocol. Also, while they, unlike they actually initially uh, proposed, they will offer it uh, for free users of Zoom as well. It will require that the user authenticates with Zoom by providing a valid phone number. 
Other than that, I'm not really enough of an expert uh, to really critique uh, the proposal uh, Zoom has offered here. But the fact that they made it public and opened it up uh, before implementing it, I think is a real good sign here. Well, and how sometimes the problem is in the details shows a vulnerability that was discovered in the Linux kernel as far as the secure boot mode goes. In the secure boot mode, the kernel is supposed to only load digitally signed uh, kernel modules that are signed using an approved uh, key. Now, the problem here is that you also have the advanced configuration and power interface or ACPI. ACPI uh, can be used to, for example, initialize devices that are uh, connected to the system after uh, the system has been booted. And of course, that may require that additional kernel modules need to be loaded. And of course, the kernel has to make sure that these modules are also signed, but the kernel isn't actually watching those ACPI secondary system descriptor tables uh, sufficiently. And as a result, it's possible to later load kernel modules that are unsigned. There's a fairly simple proof of concept out there that effectively allows you to just turn off uh, the lockdown mode of the kernel and uh, that's implemented in a little bash script. And yes, a patch has been released. And then just a small correction to yesterday's podcast, I believe I called the Trek IP stack, Track IP stack, so it's T-R-E-C-K IP stack, that's the industrial control system IP stack that had a number of vulnerabilities that uh, became known as the Ripple 20 vulnerabilities. And also, if you missed uh, Didier's or Jan's uh, webcast, uh, actually, well, you missed the treat, but we had some issues with Jan's uh, webcast. A lot of... Uh, listeners weren't able to join so uh, please refer to the recording all of these webcasts are recorded and uh, you can then listen to the recording and tuesday at 1 p.m we have a special session where we do a hands-on session how to install the dshield honeypot uh, but also if you're not interested in setting up your honeypot how to use all of our data so uh, this will be hands-on best if you have a linux system or ubuntu system available can be a virtual machine or if you want you can also run it on a raspberry pi again that's a Tuesday, June 23rd at 1 p.m. Eastern. And that's it for today. Thanks again for listening and talk to you again tomorrow. Bye.